What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales Podcast, Season 3, Episode 12. We're here in March, March 7th, 2022. How you doing, Richard? I'm good, man. We are less than 60 days, right? May 10th, we go to uh, Costa Rica for Surf and Sales, right? Need to buy a plane ticket, so... um, (laughs) I actually got my plane ticket already, if you can believe that. I I do, because you're... You know, much more of a surfing degenerate than I am. Yeah, but I'm usually not, you know, doing these things early or ahead of time. So yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little proud of myself. We've got a little bit different kind of a show today, um, but we're still brought to you each and every episode by our good friends Sendoso, Scratchpad, and Outreach. And Outreach has got a special link for everybody. Give them the link, Richard. Yeah, it is click.outreach.io forward slash surf that's right click.outreach.io forward slash surf um i've got an awesome landing page set up for you and uh be for, feel, feel free to say uh you heard about them on here and that uh, uh, we said you demand a 10 percent uh rate reduction for purchasing so uh, you can battle it out with them but tell them we said so yeah battle it out but you know you'll win the battle you'll win the battle yes uh <clears throat> so richard mentioned surf and sales uh we have three events coming up uh, in 2022, the first of which is in May. And uh, there's actually now, it was sold out, but now we have a spot or two available. We've had a couple people who've had to kind of not attend for for a few reasons. So we expect it to sell out once we uh, let everybody know. But one of the things we do at Surf and Sales is we uh, hold these kind of coaching sessions in this place that we call the crow's nest. You go up the staircase at one of the houses. It's an outdoor balcony. We kind of hang up there after dinner, and uh, some of the guests come one by one, and, and we spend 45 minutes to an hour uh, just chatting it up and answering questions that they have. So we decided to see who would be interested in doing a virtual crow's nest session rather than a traditional podcast. And we are here with our guest, Eric Steves. Eric is the fractional CRO at 21 Knots, and he's the co-founder of PKA Solves. Eric, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Great to be here, guys. Yeah, we appreciate you being open to this uh, different style of show today and, uh, you know, do our best. Hopefully give you some advice, answer some questions that you might have. I'm sure Richard and I will have a few questions for you as well. So, Let's get into it, man. Tell everybody a little bit about like what you're doing right now, what you're selling, what the cycle is like, all that kind of stuff. So people have some context. So at the moment, I sell at the agency level in more than one place. So I don't sell SaaS in the way that a lot of other people do. I'm selling Salesforce consulting. I'm selling GTM consulting. And so I kind of sell at the intersection of SaaS and agency, which is actually where I started listening to a lot of your content when you were talking about, can you scale your agency result? And I was like, well, hey, that guy's talking to me. So are you working for yourself right now or do you have uh, yeah. staff or partners? Who's, yeah, who's so- involved in the company? So my partner at 21 Knots is Jean Say, and he's my Salesforce mentor. And 21 Knots is his agency that he does Salesforce consulting out of. And then he had been mentoring me in how to be a Salesforce consultant. And we started having a really cool knowledge handoff between my sales background and his technical background, where we were able to say, we've got the peanut butter and jelly that we should work together. And I started reading about 
CRO and the demand for it. And I said, that's actually what I do in every company one way or another. So that's it. That's what I do. And in Project Kickass, that was actually founded with my partner, Rebecca. She's my life partner. And we are the only people in our agency. And we do also Salesforce consulting. We do virtual events and getting people broadcast ready, which typically winds up being like getting them like I am here with the backgrounds and stuff. And then another thing we started doing, because people just keep asking for it, is building their communities. So like community building as a service, as an agency level. That's pretty interesting, the community building as, as a service portion. I want to ask one question before we let you start peppering us with questions. Give, give some people some advice who are sales leaders or founders who are in the very early days of building out their sales org. What are two or three things that people get wrong about setting up their Salesforce instance that you could tell them, please, for the love of all things good and holy, don't do this. Here's a better way to do it. Give some people some advice and then we'll get into your questions. Don't make a field or an object for every shiny object. Um, hold yourself to a spreadsheet. A lot of Salesforce consultants will be like, you only have a Google Doc, you only have an Excel sheet, but like, honestly, you should be able to articulate your data model and workflow in an Excel sheet and explain what everyone's getting out of each piece of data and what you're going to use it for. And then for the love of God, hold it all to your customer. Like, what problem does this help me solve for my customer, even in your CRM? Because honestly, if it's doing both, you're going to get more out of it anyway. So like recently we were building one that had BANT as the ground level framework. And <laughs> BANT is, is like a starting point, <laughs> but like sorry, it's sorry. not it's not the be all end all. It's just there as a crutch to make an easier build in the instance, right? So I was like, well, what about Spiced? Because like Spiced is way more customer friendly and way more in line with how I work with people. So I guess my main takeaway to yours would be map it all out in an Excel sheet. Like um, Tim Savage from Typing DNA like gave a really cool talk about how like he used to only have an Excel sheet and that now that he has Salesforce, he's able to get so much more out of it for himself and his team because he's able to take it back to that 2D fundamental. All right, first of all, I, <clears throat> I threw up a little bit in my mouth. Which, yeah, there was a couple of sound effects in there, Richard. You want to comment yeah. on the sound effects? Uh, sure. That was that was the whole band thing. Um, Which is not Eric's. Not not Eric. Eric's not endorsing no, that. No, 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 no. He was oh, just I talking about Eric. the work he was but, doing. But there are two there are two things that are very interesting. Aside, you know, that I'll ask, that I'll comment on. One is, um, you know, one I should probably talk to Eric about community building, and two. Um, now, Scott, I think you're ready to move into Salesforce because Scott is an Excel wizard with his data. I knew that was coming. So I knew, knew that, that was coming. So knew that was coming. Eric, Eric may get a couple of clients out of this one, which might be the, one of the. First I really like the. Uh, I really like the last point that he made. The third point that he made about mapping it to the, the customer and, and all that. That's often yes. overlooked. Often overlooked. I would agree. I think I even do that too. Like I, I built it for my own internal data needs and then it's like well, yeah. wait a minute you know you got to make sure it speaks to the pains that you're solving for your for your prospects and clients but yeah that's that's a really good intro um so eric what do you want to have like this is the part where we really turn this whole episode over to you okay so the first one i would ask is leaving everything on the table here i'm not a SaaS pro i don't have 
millions in revenue on a W-2, I don't have the team wins. But I did grow other businesses that were B2B services, and I've captured those stories of revenue. So the challenge becomes, aside from just showing them the potential outcome in Salesforce they could have, the CRO thing is my passion. Like, that's where it goes, right? So I take full you know, ownership of the fact that I'm going to people and saying, I'm an agency, I didn't lead some giant multi-million dollar expansion, but here's what I am doing that works. Will you take a shot on me? Like, how do you make that pitch? So I would, first thing I would say is you need to adjust your mindset of, it doesn't matter whether or not you've closed millions of dollars. You've helped companies close millions of dollars. Right. So you are a fractional SaaS CRO, whether they, you know, let them dig into it if you think that's going to be a problem. Um, I run into this a little bit too, because people will say, well, who do you work with? And you know, it's mostly SaaS. And every now and then it will be a non-SaaS customer. And I'll have to say, well, how important is that to you? What makes that so important about that industry that makes you feel like it's unique? And then I have to be willing to say, you know, hey, if it's not. If you don't feel like I'm the guy, that's okay. Like no big deal. Yeah, uh, the process is the process, man. It it hasn't changed since Mesopotamia. I swear, like it really hasn't. So. But there, you're going to run into a lot of inherent bias about this. <clears throat> just so you know, uh, if you don't already know, um, so there will be a large chunk of the B2B SaaS kind of world that is like, nope, sorry. You know, you gotta go back to the beginning, so to speak. And I mean, I don't, I'm not saying you have to go back to be an SDR or something, but you maybe you have to go back to be a sales manager and work your way up. So just know that that element exists. And you, if that's what you wanted to do, you'd have to do that. Or you just have to be talking to enough people and have a large enough kind of pipeline, if you will, that you just discard those ones and it's like okay no worries you have your opinion you know i have mine w one thing that could potentially be helpful though is to have lots of um dialogue prepared around your wins so for example you might be able to say hey one of my clients scott lee's consulting you know, we helped, we came in and they were at a million dollars in ARR. And during the course of us working together, we got them to 10 million. And, you know, now they're at 50 million. And this other place I worked with the Harris Consulting Company, they started at 20 million ARR. You know, now they're at 100 million ARR. So be able to speak to specific opportunities, kind of when you showed up what you did to grow it and kind of where it is now because you positioned it, you know, the right way, because a lot of that journey is pretty similar, you know, um, would, in terms of what you're doing, how you're structuring and organizing things, strategic decisions, hires. I don't know all the things you do in, in your business, but that is an angle that I would be trying to take if I was trying to do, you know, if I was trying to do what you said in your, in your question, go ahead, Richard. Yeah. I would, I would add to that too, is that if you have one, Scott's right, you know, know your use cases and your case studies, right? So, you know, your experience is I've worked with 
20 plus SaaS organizations. Overall, you know, that equates to this much revenue. You could then dive in deeper and say, by the way, these three companies came in at these three levels and they grew to here. Oh, by the way, they also got funding afterwards, particularly if you're working with SaaS startups, because ultimately the revenue growth is about funding if you're in the startup world. Um, and it they have to show that revenue. And so I think that's the pain you're solving. I also think you have to ask them, well, as you grow your revenue, what are you trying to accomplish? So let's say you hire me or anybody else and you get 10 million more dollars. What happens next for your organizations, for your organization? And they'll give you a story. Oh, we can do this. We can expand. It's like, okay, well, that's what I do. By the way, I did it here, here, and here. And I think the more you'll get them to tell you about what's so important about growing the revenue, not that you should ignore the SaaS part, but you're going to shift that conversation and get their mind thinking differently. Yeah. And to that point, um, I think I bring something to the table for people that are going for funding, which is that I bootstrapped a tiny agency during the pandemic on customer to customer to customer revenue. I didn't borrow a single dollar. And at this moment, we have less than 2000 bucks of debt as a company. And I mean, we're a tiny company, but the point is still that I love and care about the financials and the health of the uh, business itself, not just saying we got this number in this time. Like I want it to be sustainable and healthy. Okay. Okay. But counterpoint, a lot of startups don't care about all that fiscal responsibility whatsoever. So I worry a little bit that you could get pegged as somebody who's more of a bootstrappy kind of person if you're over-optimizing in your answers for <laughs> financial responsibility. I can't believe I'm uttering this sentence out loud because it seems so ridiculous, but it is true in, in SaaS. Um, so just be careful about that. I think you really want to speak to the wins, the how you've done it, the who you've done it with, who you've brought in, that your areas of expertise and all this kind of thing, and that you know that journey. That's the really important part, I think. And there's these different stages. There's like the zero to, you know, one million kind of VP. There's the zero to 10 or 20 million VP. There's the person who comes in and goes from 50 to 250 million, that kind of thing. So being able to say, I'm this type of sales leader for this type of stage. This is what I love to do. And here's why. And here's the examples of when I've done it and where I've done it. I think that story is going to play out a little stronger, frankly, than talking so much about running your own business responsibly. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't care about you, Eric. They care about what you can do for them, right? Like we hear this all the time. We talk about it all the time. Just out of curiosity, how many companies have you been the fractional CRO for? Regardless this of whether the one. what's that? This is the first one that I have that title, but okay. that's what I've done in four other companies. Okay, so you so have this four, would be number five. You have four different experience. You have five different experiences at different companies, and that's what you need to share. Not that you've got one fractional CRO. It's like no, I've done this. And then to Scott's point. What is it they want the CRO to do? You know, which you know how to do. Maybe they're going to want some level of you know financial um, stability. Maybe they're going to be like, no, we're high growth. We just need someone to come in and 
build the machine because, you know, we're founder led sales and we don't know how to do that part yet. And we just need someone to come in and do that. Um, so that, that would be my, my other thought. Which is my favorite. Like that's my right. all time favorite situation to be in because I have the most experience and credibility and I also have the most passion for it because that's yeah. my life. Yeah, I would agree. I'm, I'm that niche, you know, zero to 10 million guy, right? Maybe zero to five, depending on how fast they want to do things or how fast I get it going. What else can we share with you? What else do you want to ask? So what I would want to know is when you're growing your network and you are looking at the, the difference between more followers or more impact, how can you keep yourself honest that way? Because I'm at a place where I don't have a massive follower count. I know that I need some significant follower count, but to be totally honest, I don't want to be focused on just doing that. I want it to be as a result of what I'm doing. And you guys seem to have done that. So I would just want to know, how can you distill that? You want, you want well, to here's, <laughs> here's where I throw myself under the bus. Yep. Because I was not thoughtful in the way that you were about, you know, I want to like earn all these followers through my good work or good content. I was very much in the camp of my good content doesn't matter if nobody reads it or, or hears it. So I cared a lot about the size of my audience, which is different than most people I think will tell you and, and talk about. Um, <clears throat> so I spent a lot of time, you know, connecting with people who I thought at the time might be somebody that I would hire one day or who might hire me one day. And the third batch of people would be people who are sort of doing my job right now that I might be able to learn from. So I was growing by connecting with sales reps, other sales leaders, and founders and CEOs. And it was a huge, huge focus. And I was actually doing that while sort of at the infancy stage of creating content. I just don't have this belief that, that other people do of, well, if you produce cool enough shit, like eventually the audience finds you. I don't think of it like that. I, I, I think of all of the amazing bands, for example, that we've all known and love that never made it because they never got the audience. And people probably, including them, just said, well, just keep producing good music and playing shows and the audience will come. No, it fucking won't. No, it won't. So what can I do to, you know, get myself in the spotlight more? What can I do to increase the amount of people coming to my shows, so to speak, right? So well, I, I, I cringe a little bit when I hear you say, well, I want my work to speak for itself and the followers to come. I don't know that I agree with you. I don't think that that is the winning strategy. And I think that there's a bit of a, a self-sabotage in terms of growing your network if you operate that way. What do you think, Richard? So, you know, we started that journey at the same time um, in 2017, because it happened before we went to our first, even just family Costa Rica vacation. So it was a little bit different too. Um, the communities weren't- Yeah, years ago, this is six, seven years ago now. Right. Yeah. So like, I think Sales Hacker 
and inside sales that Trish, Trish's group, those were like the two big communities, right? Um, and to that point, you know, I did the same. I was different than Scott though, because I was already consulting. So I just wanted people who were in sales to have be the eyeballs on stuff, right? And I, you know, I target a particular city and I'd go, okay, Austin, VP of sales, let me send this message out, right? Let me connect with people. And we got about, at that stage, we were getting like 60% accept rates, you know, and the message was really tight. It was like, hey, just trying to expand the network. Don't worry, I'm not going to turn around and try and ask you for a meeting um, or pitch you anything. I'm just trying to, you know, share good content. And, uh, and people appreciated it and they did. And so, you know, I would tackle Austin and then I would tackle New York and then I would tackle Seattle and I went to these places and I was much more interested in um well, I would say I was like, Scott, the people who are going to hire me as a consultant, not as an employee. And then also knowing that, you know, there was a groundswell of like the more reps I know, that can help too. So that was my approach, uh, similar to Scott, but slightly different. And I just went for it. Now, I think we can both say, you know, there's, um, you know, we wanted to get to 30K as fast as we could. We focused on salespeople, probably overlooked customer success is more than we should have certainly uh, marketing um, and then more inbounds start coming in, right? Because as you have more things and you do write content, that kind of stuff, then um, you get those inbounds and then eventually you have to start pruning, right? So I've had to prune back people from different countries, which is a little insulting um, because that's just the way LinkedIn makes me play the game. And, um, and so there are certain countries where I've just like gone in and deleted everybody even if they're salespeople or sales leaders, because they're not my ideal customer. They're not my profile. Um, and I don't have, I, you know, at some point that's the part two where you can see, well, if these people aren't engaging, I should get rid of them because I know I'll get 200 more people coming in in the next 30 days um, that do want to engage on my content, right? Or when people engage on my content, I would connect with them if I weren't already connected, right? Because I want to keep that, that's, how I've been doing it. So, um, and I agree with Scott hundred percent. It's a numbers game. It's always been a numbers game. Like it's almost old school, right? The more dials you make, well, the more connections you have, the more visibility you're going to get. And you just have to play the game for a while. Proper prospecting prevents poverty. Yeah. But it, I also um, don't like, but it don't, you know, I, I've noticed several answers from you, Eric, is that you, really engineer the process of everything you try to do, which is okay, right? That's going to be like, as a CRO, that's really, really good as a salesperson, as a sales leader, but don't overdo it. Like, like literally it's like Austin VP of sales, connect, connect, you know, and then put the message in, right? Like don't try to, you know, eventually I think Scott, you remind me, we got snooty about it and we decided that like, Oh, this person only has 700 connections. I'm not going to connect with them. Yeah, that's, or, I mean, that's part of the pruning process. Right. And, and part of, I, I go through that right now. Like, right. I looked at somebody's profile earlier today who sent me a request and they had 600 followers and like no activity in the last 90 days. I'm like, I'm not going to connect with that person. Right. Right. So, um, so anyway, so I think that that's the answer. You can keep digging in us on that one, though, if you want to ask more around it. Well, it's just, I have to mention the synchronicity. I feel like life is telling me to talk about this. So you brought up bands in 2000, which is I didn't when bring I was up making it. You brought up bands. 
Let's, let's be perfectly clear. <laughs> oh, Scott, Br well, so Against Me was a band that Spin is writing about today on the 20th anniversary of the record that they wrote in my house. And that was my best friend's band. And they were a punk rock band that was folksy and had this diehard following of a couple thousand people in every town. But they went on the journey of exploding. And how this connects to Richard's music taste is they discovered the Gaslight Anthem and introduced them to Bruce Springsteen on their journey, who then now plays stadiums with the Gaslight Anthem. Right. And what was really crazy for me hearing Scott talking about bands and then you about Austin is I was sitting there last night thinking about the difference in my life 20 years ago when I was telling my friends in punk rock bands that I was going to try to make a living doing cold calls and they were just kind of calling me a jerk off to my face about it and then now I'm about to go on this podcast and I'm reading about this band last night that like has a direct connection to the boss and all of it so there's just kind of a tightness to that circle that really made me happy to hear you guys go there with it. I love I love this story so much because like when I first moved to Austin 10 11 years ago I remember actually listening to the Gaslight Anthem that one of my buddies introduced me to and I remember telling Richard like hey man this is like a little punkier version of Springsteen there's like a lot of connections between these two bands together uh, you should check it out. So that's a pretty cool story, man. Appreciate you sharing is, that. That is good. I also like the fact that your friends are bold enough to tell you, you know, you're you're a jerk off to your face. Like those oh, are yeah. your friends, by the way. Like seriously, yeah. like, you do need good friends in business and life who are willing to sort of call you out on it and then still be your friend. Like that's, you know, it's a, it's a fun story, but it, it's important to to notice that too. So um, this dude knows knows a lot about us, Scott. Like it's a little, you know, he's he's you digging know? in well. So he's done, he's done some research, done some research. What else can we help you with there? So if I were building a brand and I chose this brand, so my question would be, was I crazy to pick the outsider looking in? Does that not scale or does it scale? Cause like that was the whole thing with my brand with the Ronin is like, I'm not an employee. I'm a free agent. I'm a consultant. I would work at a company that I believed in a lot, but only as like a residency. Is that wind in my sails or is that a mistake? You can go first on that one, Scott. I don't think it really matters. I, I don't know that that really matters. I think what matters is that you talk about things that you have done and have some expertise in, you share openly about things that work, maybe things that don't work. You talk candidly about the journey that you're on and kind of this uh, build in, in public kind of mentality, you know? And you don't get over your skis suddenly talking about, I don't know, marketing attribution, if you don't know anything about marketing attribution and that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> And I, and I think people start to get a sense of like, is Eric being authentic or not? And I think if you, if you can make your brand authentically you and it stands out a little bit somehow from the sea of everybody else, then I think you're in pretty good shape, you know? Um, and your brand kind of just claims you rather than you. Doug Landis has said that your brand claims you more than you claim your brand. So I didn't set out in building my brand by saying, hey, 
I'm going to be the, you know, guy with a beard and the tequila guy and the surfing guy, like in sales, like I was just being myself. And some of these things have now taken over the brand that I thought that I was kind of building. Right. Um, and so there's a little bit of a, that's a differentiator if it is what I'm trying to say. Like, if you just think who else, you know, out there who's a sales leader is a surfer and a tequila drinker and has a beard and talks like straight talk and does these kinds, of, there's probably dozens and dozens that are out there who do the same things as me, if not better, but maybe not as many people know about them because to the earlier point, they didn't put the energy on building the audience necessarily. Right. Um, so I don't think that you being an outsider looking in type brand is a bad thing. If you did the opposite of that, I don't know that that's a, a bad thing either. You just have to find a way to be authentically you and separate yourself somehow from the pack. Something unique comes out that everybody else looks at and listens to and is like, this person is telling the truth. This is not a bunch of garbage. I'm not being fed a bunch of lines. This is like this person's real journey. Richard? Yeah, I would. I'm going to ask you a question, Eric. How big of a risk taker are you? Very big. Very big. Okay. So uh, Scott and I love to play this game. Would you get into a uh, shark cage and go see the sharks? Oh, yeah. Okay. Got it. All right. He's so, already a bigger risk taker than me after answering that one right there. Exactly. Um, the reason I'm asking is um, because you've, you've said so many things that are so process oriented. So I'm trying to figure out who you are, right? Like more than what I know from online and everything Scott's talking about, whether you're, you know, inside looking out or outside looking in is about taking a risk, right? This podcast was like a risk. Right. And not on, and before the podcast was the event, right? Like Scott just, you know, we went to Costa Rica, Scott came home, posted something on LinkedIn to say, Hey, when people do this, people said, yes, and called me and called Jeff and was like, let's try this thing. Let's see what happens out of it. That's how the event started. And then came the podcast. And I was like feeling nervous about, I don't want to do a podcast by myself. I'm really scared. I called Scott and we were talking and he was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And so we called it the Servant Sales Podcast. And so it's okay for you to take some risks because it particularly on the social and the branding side, if you miss, nobody knows, <laughs> nobody saw it. Right. So I think that's the kind of thing, right? Like, you know, and, and again, to Scott's point, you can share good stories. You can share bad stories, right? Like my brand, we asked once um, at an event that we did in Austin, um, they were talking about Scott and I, and, uh, and they, you know, we said, well, what is our brand? Right. And, you know, the, the answer came back that, you know, Scott is fuck you and Richard is let's be friends. <laughs> so, um, which, you know, again, we didn't choose that. We didn't do things that way. That just is how people perceived us. And we, of course we owned it. We don't care. We think that's kind of funny. We like that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think Scott's seen as the, 
again, at the same thing, people were talking about, this is a couple of years ago, Scott and his approach and how he's very direct and honest and sincere about things. And, you know, Richard's the same, but Richard's also the mental health guy, right? Like, because of the things you talk about are the ways people are going to perceive you. So like this year, I've been focusing that my goal for most of my content is around leadership, right? Better leadership, because I'm building out some content for that. But I don't know that I'm necessarily known for that, right? I think I'm more known as a sales trainer and more as, you know, helping SDRs and AEs. And I do a little bit of the stuff on the leadership side. And so now I'm trying to build that out. And by the end of the year, hopefully that shifts a little bit, you know? Well, this makes me have to ask you, do you remember your advice when we talked like, I don't know, three, four months ago, what you told me about my brand and you said something about there's a hole in your story? I do not. Okay. I talked to Richard about this and I like basically cold video messaged him and said, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel better about not remembering. He's talking about you, Richard. Right. Yeah. So, so what wound up happening was you said something to the effect of there's a big part of your story I can tell you're not telling. And for me, what it was, was that I spent almost a decade as a bouncer while I was learning how to run businesses. I made so little money at the beginning that I needed that cash. And you basically said, well, would you say that on a podcast? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, that's your, that is it. That's the thing right there. Like talk about how you used to be a bouncer. And if I hadn't had that conversation with Richard, I would have continued believing that that was a structural liability to my success in this space. And to be perfectly honest, when I embraced that part of it, when I embraced the I'm not for everybody, I got the most traction I've ever gotten in my career just from that one tidbit of like, don't hide that part of your story. Don't hide the dark part of your story. Yeah, I agree. And then there's the other part too that I, I can't remember if I told you, but I was looking today at you was that you were like the junk king, right? Yep. You had like, Scott, he had one of those junk businesses. Like one, was it 1-800-JUNK called Junk or something? Both. So oh. I worked at the two biggest ones and I moved them from B to C to B to B in my focus. And that's where I first started studying things like ABM and studying marketing was because there's serious money to be made in junk removal. Most people don't get that. And um, yeah, I used to be the guy loading fridges into a truck, but I also learned how to make that such a wildly profitable endeavor. And that's what, by the way, that's what a fractional CRO does or any head of sales. They remove the junk from the pipeline. Like that's part of nice. your job, right? Nice. And, and you know, a cool part is you get to mold people to make sure they're not junk, but then if it's not the right fit, then you have to remove them too, like not in an inhumane way. Um, but that means, again, another fun story, right? That people will be like, oh, I know exactly what that blue and green truck is that sits at the corner of this two busy intersections oh, you're that guy. And now you've got this whole other experience. Like, I think all these different pieces of you are 100% what make you great, right? Like, I don't know, go trademark sales junk and then put a circle with a slash through it. Like no sales junk, like that's you, right? Like something like that could be you. And then that becomes part of the story potentially, right? An outsider busts down the doors, makes their way in making it happen and that inspires other people and and by the way every time someone follow a similar path yeah everybody who hires a cro or vp of sales or director of sales they're looking for an outsider they don't want another insider the problem they have is they're too much of an insider themselves right they need someone to shake it up 
Now that doesn't mean they like it when you start to do it. It's a whole other discussion, but you know, that's how I see it. So. Well, we're, uh, we're moving towards the end oh rapidly. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. We're moving towards the end here rapidly, but uh, we want to thank Sendoso as well as Scratchpad and our good friends at Outreach one more time. Hit them with the link, Richard. Click.outreach.io forward slash surf. Click.outreach.io forward slash surf. And go to surfandsales.com. We've got a couple spots open in May and uh, one spot only open the first week in November and a bunch of spots open the second week of November. We'll have a good time. You won't regret it. Eric, one more question before we get out of here. What can we do? What can we help you with? How can I help people coming into the game the most from where I am in the food chain? Besides just connecting them to people above the, myself in the stream, what's the biggest impact I can have for people that talk to me about how do I get into this? Well, my answer was going to be, except for, <laughs> then Eric said, except for this. That was going to be my answer. Uh, I mean, I think just talking about the things that you've experienced and gone through and what's worked and what's not worked, kind of what to expect. I think level setting people's expectations would be pretty helpful. Um, you know, if you remember the very beginning of the show, you asked the question and I, and I started off by saying, well, a good bunch of people are going to like tell you, no, you can't do that. You're going to have to go to the beginning, right? That was an example of me sort of trying to set some expectations for me. So, you know, I think there's a lot of value in that. Um, if you can, if you can do that for, for other people who are kind of coming in and I think just trying to be a, a, a lighthouse, if you will, you know, a beacon of, of a hope that, oh, this guy made it. So, you know, maybe I can too. Yeah. I think, I think, that's all correct. And I would add to it that, you know, talk about the mistakes. Um, you can put yourself out there, uh, you know, with the mistakes you've made or the lessons you've learned, however you want to frame it. Um, I think back in the day before the communities took off, um, I, I should probably go do this. I haven't done it in a while. You know, that free advice day, you know, um, you might need to go get more connections first, but, you know, I post my cell phone number and LinkedIn and people will call me and they'll just say, Hey, I saw your post and saying you're giving away free advice. Here I am, you know, and they'll do that. I might even say you're always trying to pay it forward. Um, but you might want to spend a little bit more time connecting with more people than worrying about that. The help, the people who want to help or who ask for help will be good, right? We'll come to you. And I think too, for all, I know, cause you're on like six different communities, right? Um, chiming in where appropriate is good because that helps you scale the advice, right? Like I'm Matt, I'm very, very, very much into modern sales pros, right? So I know how to write stuff for that group and people know me for that. Um, and I've gotten some gigs from it and those kinds of things. So it's just, um, just give out the advice and I think for now, just while you're building your LinkedIn profile, and maybe you can still do it too, but comment in the communities you're in, participate, show up, I think matters. And how you show up matters too. 10-4. All right. Thanks so much, Eric, for uh, joining us on the Service Sales Podcast. And uh, we reenacted a crow's, crow's nest session. Yep. Live from the beach. 
at surf and sales. Oh, we should have put up the fake beach backgrounds from Zoom, Scott. That would have been. Or, or actually, what we should have done is had an actual picture of the crow's nest itself. See, yeah. if we knew what we were doing, Eric, this is right. what we would have done. See, we need to hire. We should, we Scott, need we to should hire, hire somebody with our social branding. The background for us. You need to hire Project Kickass, and I'll get the waves in behind you. It takes yeah. a half an hour. So. There we go. All right, Eric, we appreciate you, man. Thanks so much. Where Thanks, can everybody bud. find you? Sure. All right, Eric, hey, thanks. before we get out of here, tell everybody where they can find you. Okay, so you can find 21 knots. That's 2-1, the numbers, knots like an article miles per hour. We put the wind in your sails. If you need your Salesforce instance to represent your GTM motions, if you want to look better on a Zoom call or you want to build a community or have a transformative virtual event, holler at Project Kickass, PKA Solves, or Project Kickass, you'll find it. And if you want to move your sales motions into Slack, you can find me at Slack First Sales. Eric, can they just find you on LinkedIn? Like, and I'm Eric Steves on LinkedIn, a.k.a. DeBear's Force. Right. And that's S-T-E-E-V-E-S. V-E-S. Yes, Eric Steves. So, all right, bud. Hey, good to catch up with you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you both. Thank you so much.